That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> That's really dark, too. It's super... This movie's really dark. Anyway, it's awesome. What's the opposite of It's a Wonderful Life? It's a dangerous multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Well, Steven. <laughs> We've made it. <laughs> We're here. Spider-Man Day. Spider-Man Day. Spider-Man Day. Because My this... favorite day of every two years. Yeah. It has been good for Spider-Man fans. It's good because, I mean, it's Christmas, my favorite season, and also Spider-Man, my favorite season of life, is when a new Spider-Man film comes out. It's also a good week for Marvel. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because Hawkeye's been great. I was about to drop a spoiler, but I guess I won't. (laughs) Spider-Man is your favorite superhero, right? Yes. We've discussed this before, but it's... Yeah, I, I don't know how to talk about it without having it be very personal for me. As I'm sure it's been for you in the past, maybe talking about Halo or League of Legends or something. But yeah, Spider-Man is is not just my favorite superhero, but that character is like sort of ingrained in my history, very intertwined in my life. So if he feels like more than I don't know, just like a, my favorite superhero, you know what I mean? You've grown up with multiple different Spider-Men as well, multiple iterations of Spider-Man, like a multiverse. Yeah. One of the reasons I was thinking we should start a podcast, or I wanted to start a podcast before I dragged you down this road, <laughs> um, was because I was like, oh, I might get to review a Spider-Man movie one day. And this is like the culmination of all, of our- all good things <laughs> in my life. Because for the past 20 plus years, that's not how long I've liked Spider-Man. I've liked Spider-Man longer than that. But for the past 20 plus years, I have been following not just the movies but the behind the scenes of the movies Mm -hmm. the drama behind the production companies and the studios that make these films the directors the producers every little thing about it i know i know more than probably i mean i i've never met somebody that has matched my level of spider knowledge understanding of not just spider-man as a character there's probably people that know more about spider-man as a character than me from comic book accuracy i do know a lot but i don't know everything but about specifically the movies the development of them the development everything about them i i just know a lot and i i'm i'd be hard-pressed to find someone that could match my knowledge of just i have like the, the th- it's the thing i care most about like uh dune maybe for you like I, this isn't what wakes me up in the morning, but it is. My kids wake me up in the morning. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Both literally and figuratively. But Spider-Man is like one of the things that I return to in my headspace, my mind palace. It's like a safe place for me where I can return to time and time again. And I, I thrive off of the knowledge, just even any simple knowledge about the movies and the production of these movies and Spider-Man movies. There's reasons why that is for me. And it definitely hits the nostalgia bone for me. Absolutely. We're only human. Like I said, it's intertwined with my history, my past, uh, at a time in my life when I was longing to not be alone. Mm -hmm. I, I really connected with the character of Peter Parker and the struggles that he has as a character. Mm-hmm. always seemingly kind of ending up alone, which is what this film is, this new Spider-Man movie that just is coming out right now in, in the theaters, No Way Home, is all about. That's ultimately what happens. 
Is that a spoiler? <laughs> oh, yeah. This will be full spoilers. Right. Full spoilers. I I can't talk about these movies. I can't talk about Spider-Man without spoilers. And because I know so much, it's all, like like I said, it's all intertwined, mm-hmm. deep, deeply intertwined and ingrained in me. But I thought before, hey, we review Spider-Man No Way Home, maybe we could do a quick rundown with my excessive plethora of knowledge of Spider-Man movie production history a refresher might be pertinent yeah and i feel like it could be helpful for some people okay well let's do a rundown yes and i need you to interact with me because i i can't do this alone of course when were you born steve i was born in 1987 oh my god (laughs) i'm a millennial through and through yeah all the way through i do like me some meme zoomer humor you do dabble i dab not like the hulk in endgame though <laughs> I forgot about that. It was literally the worst part of the movie. I wish you hadn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yep. It's in, it's in my mind. So, Spider-Man as a character. Here we go. This is the history of Spider-Man. Listen, quick history. You will be tested at the end. <laughs> Spider-Man as a character was created in 1964 by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, who was the artist, uh, which is why I'll probably be dropping a lot of useless pieces of information, but which is why Mr. Dikovich in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films is named Mr. Dikovich. Oh. The guy who's always like, rent. The landlord. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get this money when you fix the damn door. If promises were crackers, my daughter would be fat. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Anyway, uh, Steve Dicko and Stan Lee created the character. He appeared in these annual books called Amazing Fantasy. This was Amazing Fantasy number 15. And he was so popular that they created his own book. And so began the comic book run of the comic book known as Amazing Spider-Man. The Amazing Spider-Man was the first run? Yeah. And it's been going ever since. There have been variations of it. And there's multiple different comic books where some iteration of Peter Parker is doing different things and telling different stories. So like when I first started reading Spider-Man, it was late 90s, around the 2000s. And there were about three to four different books at the time. It was before Civil War. There was uh, Amazing Spider-Man, which is has always been like the foundation comic book that's been running again since 1964. They've relaunched it a couple times. So like the, the numbers have changed a few times and then gone back to... Also, like the tracking of numbers, if that makes sense. So, like, they pause at like issue 600 and whatever, and then started back at one. And then, after everyone hated that idea, they like went back to like issue 600 and whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That happens time and time again. It's really annoying. In comics, it's Com- just yeah, comic book fans are just like, it's such a hard freaking thing to follow. But at the time, it was Amazing Spider Man. Uh, Spectacular Spider-Man and Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. I was reading everything, like anything get my hands on. Ultimate Spider-Man was a whole separate thing. Um, That was like a soft reboot in the early 2000s, sort of based on the idea that some of these characters needed sort of like a revamp. But all those versions of Spider-Man were Peter Parker, right? Sometimes. At that point. Yeah. And Ultimate Spider-Man is ultimately (laughs) what led to Miles Morales entering the comic book. And then the Ultimatum happened, where the Ultimate Universe merged with the 616 Universe, which is where Amazing Spider-Man run is. And Miles Morales joined the 616 Universe at that time, when the Ultimate 
comic books ended. Anyway, that's a kind of a history of the comic books. There's a lot more to it, obviously, mm-hmm. but there was a book, multiple iterations of Spider-Man in cartoons or animated versions. There was a live action portrayal of him in the 70s, I think. Uh, there was the original late 60s cartoon Spider-Man that gave us that classic theme song. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. And then there was Spider-Man and his amazing friends with Iceman from X-Men and Firestar, I think, who was also from X-Men. She's like a... I was going to say a hot girl. She's she's, <laughs> she, she's a girl that's on fire. <laughs> she's hot. Temperature-wise. Yeah, temperature-wise. That was fun. And then in the 90s, there was this animated, used to come on Fox Kids in the morning. It's what a lot of people my age, it's the reason they love Spider-Man still, is because of this animated series. And that really popularized both the classic villains, which are like Green Goblin, Doc Ock, Chameleon, Rhino, Vulture, Mysterio, Sandman, those those villains. And then integrated a lot of the newer villains like Venom, Carnage, that had appeared most recently in the 80s. And that's why a lot of people love Venom, because of that cartoon series. Was that your first exposure to Spider-Man? Was that was. I remember actually, and I've been meaning to actually Google this so I could find the toy, but I remember getting a little Doc Ock figure from a McDonald's Happy Meal, and I used to play with it all the time, because I would, I would see the Doc Ock on the cartoon series and play with it, because I liked Doc Ock a lot. I always thought he was an interesting villain. Not my favorite, but really interesting. Mysterio has always been my favorite villain, mm-hmm. which is why I was so stoked to finally see him in a movie, regardless of the fact that he didn't call him Fishbowl Head. <laughs> <laughs> something something he sh- that should have happened that did not happen. I have a lot of opinions about Spider-Man, by the way. So in the 90s, comic book sales dropped, like really, <laughs> really bad. And to save the characters, Marvel, who wasn't owned by Disney at the time, started selling off the rights to their characters for live action movies if they were to ever be made. So they sold, for example, Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer, X-Men to Fox. They sold the Hulk to Universal. And this was to keep the Marvel comic book studio afloat during this really hard time of not selling comic books. So they got money essentially because of this to continue to make comic books. And then they sold Spider-Man and all of his rogue gallery of villains to Sony. (laughs) Mm. Like the Louisiana Purchase. Yes. They didn't know what they were doing. Yes. So then in the late 90s, the live action version of X-Men came out and it was a huge success. And then Sony in suit made a live action version of Spider-Man that came out in uh, 2002. And that was a huge success. Before that came out, I was already just heavily anticipating seeing it. I remember seeing the World Trade Center Two Towers trailer in in the theater and just being stoked out of my mind. I went and grabbed the novelization of the first Spider-Man movie because I didn't want to wait. I wanted to read the book. This is getting really heavy in my insanity. (laughs) So I wanted to essentially know what happens in the movie before the movie comes out. So I read the whole book before the movie came out and 
it was really good. And I remember listening to Dashboard Confessional at the time, which also says a lot about me <laughs> at that, that age of my life. And uh, thinking like, oh man, I, I totally relate with this Peter Parker, the nerdy kid who doesn't have a lot of friends, who just pines after this one girl and you know is in love with her. At the time, I was in love with the idea of many girls. <laughs> and I would listen to Dashboard and I would get all emo about it. But relate, I mean, that was like... That was like a huge part of my life at that time. Mm-hmm. I remember specific scenes in the book that weren't in the movie that I kind of referred to, still refer to as deleted scenes from the first Spider-Man movie that we still have never seen. I, I do wonder if they shot because the person who wrote that book wrote the book based off of the screenplay. Mm-hmm. One of them was, for example, after the Thanksgiving scene, and Norman Osborn says that famous line, do what you need to with her and broom her fast. <laughs> and then Harry goes back in and yells at Mary Jane, just keep your mouth shut about things you don't understand. Right. And then Aunt May is like, Harry Osborn. <laughs> and then MJ runs out. There's a scene in the book where Peter follows her out and chases her down the stairs and meets her on the stairs. And there's this connection, intimate moment that that sold their their relationship even further where he was there to comfort her in that time and she just like cried on his shoulder in mm. the in the stairwell. Really, really cool scene. Still I like I wish that it was in the movie. But Sam Raimi, as a director, was the one to direct this and bring this to life. He was a classic Spider Man fan. He read the Spider Man comics when he was a young boy. I always had a passion for the original sixties Spider Man villains. Hugely passionate, which is why he chose Green Goblin for that movie. He had always wanted to do Sandman or the Vulture or Doc Ock, but they went with Green Goblin because Green Goblin is said to be Spider-Man's arch nemesis, like the biggest, the largest nemesis. Yeah, the worst of the worst villains. Also the best villains, though. So they chose Green Goblin to kind of kick that off with creating this this tone of being the arch nemesis um with a classic performance by willem dafoe yeah and toby Maguire as spider-man kirsten, yeah. kirsten dunst as mary jane and james franco as harry osborne and rosemary harris as aunt may sam raimi had always been most classically known for being a horror director mm-hmm. with the evil dead series which is like a one a very very famous horror film then he started directing some weird movies, and I think that was because he was trying to become more of a of a everyman, like an everyman director. He did like a baseball movie for the love of the game. He did The Quick and the Dead, and that actually, my cousin was in that movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because my cousin was an actress growing up, like a child actress, kid actor. She played the, the young girl that gets murdered with a block of ice <laughs> in the beginning of the movie. No! Yeah, but all of this led up to him directing spider-man and classically he had spider-man painted on his wall growing up interesting fact about Sam Raimi: he wears a suit every day on set because hitchcock did and he really admires hitchcock i wonder if that's why nolan does it too maybe anyway spider-man was a huge success uh it meant a lot to me personally it also meant a lot honestly to america at the time because 9-11 had just happened the year before and spider-man was like he became this symbol for like a savior for America, which is why in that movie, in this in the sequel and Spider-Man Three, you see him like in front of an American flag in multiple shots because America at the time needed like a hero, and he he Spider-Man was that hero. He became that hero almost in a way that Superman never did. Maybe I mean maybe Christopher Reeve's Superman from 
the 70s, 80s, but Spider-Man became that for America at that time, which was really interesting. Yeah, and then Spider-Man 2 came out uh, two years later. At the time, you know, there had only been a few comic book movies out. The critics were saying it was the best comic book movie ever made. That is a large statement, even at the time. And in my opinion, it was. And you know who did the song for that movie? Dashboard Confessional. What? Which solidified <laughs> my ability of premonition. <laughs> what song was it? Vindicated. Dang. I don't remember that. Yeah. Just so funny. Just, again, it was like a, it just solidified more the character of Spider-Man and the importance, the me- the meaning behind that character. For many a young lad. And I, I saw that movie seven times in the theater wow i saw it four times in imax and i saw it three times in the regular theater i just couldn't get enough of it It it's the best thing i'd ever seen (laughs) what can i say about that movie alfred molina is doc ock so sam raimi got to do that Uh, another classic spider-man villain and famously the character of peter parker like i said always ends up alone he in the end of the first spider-man movie denies mary jane (laughs) Because he wants to protect her and keep her safe. And then the second one, she chooses to be with him. And I remember my friend, I saw it with for the first time. When she makes that choice in the end, he started crying. uh, Which I knew meant a lot to him as well. Because he had had a lot of trouble in relationships in the past. And he also had a deep connection with that character. Um, Yeah, it was an emotional moment. That final couple scenes, pretty impactful. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, Spider-Man 3 was announced coming out three years later instead of two, which was a bummer. They wanted to spend more time with it, they said. So everyone was heavily anticipating the return of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and Sam Raimi at the helm. Uh, There was a lot of rumors circulating about Venom. But like I said, Sam Raimi had always wanted to do the classic villains. Sandman, Goblin, Doc Ock, Vulture. Those kinds of villains. Mysterio was also rumored, and people were just waiting, waiting to uh, hear who was going to be the villain. And Sony had two massive successes in their hands at this time with the Spider-Man franchise. They knew that it was this massive moneymaker because Spider-Man is a beloved character. So everyone anticipating and waiting for the return of a Sam Raimi Spider-Man film. And in 2006, uh, I went to New York because my brother was doing something with his college at the time. My family went to support him, and it was like a family trip. We made it into a family trip. And my brother was staying at the Hilton, which was like three or four blocks down from my hotel in Manhattan. And my brother gives me a call, and he's like, hey, uh, you need to come down here. And I was like, why? And he's like, they're filming Spider-Man right outside my hotel. (laughs) And I was like, that sounds not that sounds untrue anyway (laughs) it was like it was like 10 o'clock at night and i i hung up my hotel phone and i started running yep i was like i have to go i have to go i i immediately ran down and for four or five blocks in manhattan i had never been in new york before this is the first night we got there and i i get to the hotel and it's all cautioned off with caution tape and stuff and i start asking people i'm like what are you like i'm just like shouting at the crew members as they're working <laughs> dressing this scene for spider-man i'm like what are you guys doing what are you doing explain to me what's happening and they're like we're dressing a spider-man movie and i'm like okay wh- when 
are they filming? Like, when are they going to start filming? And they're like, pretty sure sometime tonight or the morning or something. So I was like, cool, I'll be there in the morning. So I could barely sleep that night. And immediately in the morning, I ran back over. Like, I woke up early, ran back over. And sure enough, they're filming Spider-Man in the suit, holding Gwen Stacy, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, on the wires. Like, they're filming that scene where Spider-Man catches her and the crane, when the crane hits the building in Spider-Man 3. And Spider-Man saves her and swings down, and they have that little interaction. And I was, like, just freaking out. Like, this is everything to me in this moment. And the video village was right on the corner of the Hilton, opposite Caddy Corner 2, where they were filming Spider-Man on the wire. And then they did a couple turnaround shots of James Cromwell and Topher Grace running up and taking pictures of what's happening. That was in the street right outside of the Hilton. And anyway, Sam Raimi's standing there in front of me. And again, everything's all cautioned off with tape. That's not going to stop me. Sam Raimi's in front of me. The person who I've been idolizing for the past six years of my life, five years. And so I just walked on the set. I crossed the tape and walked on the set and I just immediately started talking to Sam Raimi. They were in the middle of like <laughs> prepping for the next shot, like in the middle of shooting, they were looking at previs, pre-visualization of Spider-Man swinging. They were going through the scene. I remember seeing it because I was watching the screen. I was, I literally was standing behind <laughs> the director with like the producers and stuff. And uh, amazing. yeah, it was really funny. Anyway, I was like, Sam, I was like, Sam, <laughs> I'm like this. You didn't say Mr. Raimi? No. <laughs> I'm like this 19-year-old kid from Brooklyn. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, who are you? Why are you on my set? <laughs> and I was like, I saw you and I had to talk to you. I'm just a fan. I was, saw that this was happening. I was like, I'm just a huge fan of Evil Dead. I'm a huge fan of the work you've done on Spider-Man. I, you know, I just wanted to meet you. And he sat and talked to me for about 10 minutes. I just stood and talked to me. Uh, my mom has video footage of it still somewhere and uh i asked him the question i said is venom gonna be in this movie it's like i need to know and he was just like uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) were there there rumors at that point that venom was gonna be in yes but nobody knew right no one knew right no one knew that it was even gonna revolve around the whole black suit which again this was popularized from the cartoon the 90s cartoon and then i said i also heard a rumor because I, I read the rumors online that, that Venom's only going to show up for the last like 10 to 15 minutes of the movie. Is that true? And he's like, mm, uh, he's like really hesitant to answer that question. And I was like, all right. It was like, you don't have to tell me. It's like, I understand. <laughs> I was like, it's been really good to meet you. I am, you know, I'm fangirling right now. And he was like, yeah. He's like, do you want to get a picture? And I'm like, yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a couple pictures of him from that day. Anyway, I go home. And I hit up the, the the website that I'm checking daily for Spider-Man news. And I tell them my scoop. <laughs> and I send them picture evidence and everything. And then they post the article online. And I'm pretty sure I was the one to confirm that Venom was going to be in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> to, the, to the online world. Isn't that funny? You're like Forrest Gump. You were there when these things happened. Yeah, and so my friend that, again, his name was John, that cried at the end of Spider-Man 2, I called him immediately and I was like, dude, you're never going to believe what happened. A, they're filming Spider-Man 3 here. B, I just met Sam Raimi and he told me that Venom's going to be in the sequel. And I had always loved Venom, again, because of that cartoon. And he was like, dude, he was like freaking out. I was like, dude, like, I can't believe you did it. 
like you said you were going to meet Sam Raimi one day and talk to him. And I was like, and he's like, you just did it. And I was like, yes, I did. It was faded. <laughs> it was faded. It felt faded. Little tiny confirmations that God exists, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, a year later, <laughs> Spider-Man 3 comes out. waiting heavily in anticipation i saw like the footage for comic-con when it showed venom for the first time so john and i got tickets to see spider-man 3 three times in 24 hours a little did we know that this movie was not going to be like the other two spider-man films this movie was uh worse considerably worse people have often said like when they blamed the writing I had a different person who scored this one. It wasn't Danny Elfman this time. It was Christopher Young, because apparently Danny Elfman and someone had a falling out. Not Sam. I'm unsure. But people said that this movie was inflated, like Spider-Man lost its heart. It was inflated with villains. And like I said, Sam had never wanted to, he never wanted to put Venom in that movie. He wanted to stick to the classic villains that he knew and had a passion for. And I think what happened was it's just a classic example of what happens when a filmmaker makes a movie that they're just not excited about. And so the integration of uh, Topher Grace as Eddie Brock, Gwen Stacy, Venom, I just don't think it was his, it wasn't his idea. I think, and I know for a fact, because he said it since then, that Avi Arad, who was the producer at that time, forced him to put Venom in that movie because it was a fan service thing. And that's why Venom looks bad. That's why his character is bad. Emo Spider-Man. The emo Toby is all a result of that because Sam doesn't know what it, he didn't know what it was like supposed to do or look like. And everyone was trusting him because he was this money-making director who had just made two very successful Spider-Man films. But he, he didn't have a passion for Venom or Black Suit Spider-Man. He had no idea what it was supposed to be or look like. I really feel for that guy because there was massive fan backlash for that movie. Still to this day. It's, and now it's just become a meme. Mm-hmm. and it's still being memed all over the place. It's insane. I really felt for him, and there were redeeming parts of it. I liked the sequence they shot outside of the Hilton. <laughs> the crane. Uh, that was a cool sequence, yeah. Um, yeah. And there are other good things about it, but ultimately just very different. It felt like it lost its heart. And so at that point, Sam Raimi was done making Spider-Man movies. There was a planned fourth Spider-Man movie. They were already gearing up for it with John Malkovich as the vulture. <laughs> There's a bunch of previs art out there if you wanted to find it of that. That would have been fun. Yeah, would have been. But they abandoned that idea and Sony decided to do a soft reboot with a new Spider-Man, a new casting, all that stuff. Do you know when they came to that decision? It was within a year or two after Spider-Man 3. Oh, Jesus. Spider-Man 3 came out in 2007, and then Amazing Spider-Man came out five years later. So there was like a year or two where they were going to make Spider-Man 4, it got canceled, and they decided to do a soft relaunch with a new cast, new Spider-Man in 2012. And uh, who did they hire for this person but Mark Webb? Mark Webb was the director that had just had a lot of success with this indie hit called 500 Days of Summer, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel. Deschanel? People loved that movie. It, it was good. It did a lot of interesting things for having this tone of quirkiness. Quirk. And so Mark Webb was hired from this indie success to helm this multi-million dollar blockbuster film for Sony called Spider-Man. And he has since like heavily admitted to just, he was really overwhelmed from the get-go uh, and then became even more overwhelmed with the sequel. But the first one actually wasn't that bad.
I really like that movie a lot. It was a very grounded, very gritty version of Spider-Man. People say they're darker than the other ones, than Tom Holland's and Toby's, but I thought that they were really good. And Andrew Garfield to this day is still my favorite iteration of Spider-Man, of Peter Parker, I should say, and Spider-Man. I think Andrew Garfield before Tom was someone that grew up with Spider-Man as well and always wanted to be that character. He's like, you know, what a privilege it would be to play that character. Mm-hmm. And it was like a dream come true for him. And I'm not a huge fan of Emma Stone, but she was okay as Gwen Stacy. Anyway, the first one wasn't bad. It had Reese Ifans, Ifans as the lizard, Dr. Connors, which is also something that they were sort of setting up with Dr. Connors in the Sam Raimi movies. That movie was pretty successful. It wasn't as successful as the Sam Raimi movies. And they decided to go ahead and make a sequel because of that success. Mark Webb, more money, and you know what they say about more money? More problem. (laughs) More problem. Then they made Amazing Spider-Man 2 with Jamie Foxx as the villain, but instead, he's a blue man. (laughs) They made him, they made him, they made him neon blue in this movie, which honestly was a representation of Electro, because he he plays this villain called Electro, who has electricity powers. Another famous 60s Spider-Man villain. A man was chewing Willy Wonka's gum, just turning blue. Yeah, blueberry style. Anyway, that was an iteration of Electro from the Ultimate Comics. In the original comic book, he had a green and yellow suit with like these yellow lightning bolts as a mask, and he was a white guy. In the Ultimate Comics, he had like blue skin and shot blue electricity. So that's what they were going for, but the movie was just all over the place. It was... Wasn't Dane DeHaan in there as Hobgoblin? Yes. Yep. (laughs) Chris Cooper as Norman Osborn. Oh, yeah. In the sequel. Wasn't he dying or something? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He had cancer and was dying, and Dane DeHaan was his son, was Harry Osborn, and it was friends with Peter Parker, which, honestly, I mean, I've I've rewatched that movie so many times, and he feels really shoehorned in there. Harry? Yeah. You know, they shot multiple scenes with Shailene Woodley as Mary Jane for that movie? What? Yeah. Is she in there? No. <laughs> they cut her out of the movie entirely. She's, Damn. This is one thing I liked about the Amazing Spider-Man movies is that they actually were pretty comic book accurate. And that's one of the reasons I liked Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker so much is because his passion really came through and they were also pretty accurate. So they had the Gwen Stacy and they had the girl next door of Mary Jane. And Mary Jane's always been the girl next door who turns model. And... um Gwen Stacy dies, and that's another thing that they did right. You know, she dies in that movie at the end, exactly as she does in the comics. Um, and that's Peter Parker's after Uncle Ben, and then after Gwen Stacy's dad, which is also what they did. They killed Gwen Stacy's dad in the first one. Gwen Stacy dies. There's a whole thing. I even have the book right there. It's called Death of Stacy's, which is a, a very famous event in Spider-Man's history, in Peter Parker's history. Anyway, that movie just, again, was all over the place. Weird blue villain. It was very cheesy at times. It had Paul Giamatti with a really cheesy Russian accent playing Alexei, what's-his-face, who is the rhino. In a tiny little pre credit sequence. Yeah, and it was just so... It was so strange. Just the movie, it was like half extremely emo and half chaotic. And then Dane DeHaan shows up, juiced out on the meth. He's like a Keebler elf. Yeah, and he shows up as a goblin in the end, and he's like a secondary villain. And then also at the same time, Sony 
famously has always wanted to do a Sinister Six movie. <laughs> so they were like setting up like five other villains in the background of this movie with like characters that nobody knows or cares about. We need more villains. <laughs> keeping things under lock and key, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was a huge failure for Sony. And this was the third movie sort of in a row that just was not good for them. And that was in 2014. So that was two years after 2012, which was Amazing Spider-Man 1. Was it a bigger failure than Spider-Man 3? I don't know the numbers. I That's one thing I don't really care about. I just know that Sony was in a tight spot. They either had to continue their trilogy of Andrew Garfield films or do another soft reboot. I should also say at this time that Sony was hacked and had a huge email leak where for people that did a quick word search, they found that a lot of the executives didn't really know what they were talking about when it came to Spider-Man. So that was also a huge reason as to taking away the confidence in the studio, in Sony, that they can make good Spider-Man movies was because it had just come out that they really didn't know what they were talking about. And that was the whole thing is just like, are they going to continue? Is Sony going to continue making crappy Spider-Man movies? Because also over here, in a better world. <laughs> Meanwhile, Marvel, who was recently bought out by Disney, was making killer comic book movies in this whole cinematic universe that they've established with many, many movies that intertwined, and it's called the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And people were going, why can't Spider-Man be like those movies? Why the hell is Sony botching our favorite character of all time? You know, it's a huge deal. So we get to the MCU. It's 2014. People are wondering what's going to happen. Are we going to get more Blue Electro? Who knows? Kevin Feige, who's the president of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, king of everything. He's basically like God of Marvel. He goes to Amy Pascal, who's producing these Spider-Man films at the time for Sony. And he says, let us do a Spider-Man movie. Let's put Spider-Man in the MC. We'll do a collaboration between our production studios, Disney and Marvel and Sony because we really want to put that character which is a a classic Marvel character in our cinematic universe and Amy Pascal was like hell no and she kicked him out of the office she's been on record saying that she like started crying because she just felt so overwhelmed or something what do you mean overwhelmed like did she realize that she was she was upset because yeah she I didn't want to say that she couldn't do it but she knew that this was like yeah she knew that Kevin could do it yeah yeah there you go (laughs) So anyway, Sony came around and they signed a five movie deal that Spider-Man could be in five Marvel Cinematic Universe movies in collaboration with Marvel and Disney. And this iteration of Spider-Man first appeared in Captain America Civil War. He shows up with Tony Stark fighting for Tony Stark's side. Only a year after Garfield's last outing? Yeah, so that's 2016. It's two years later. They quickly recast Andrew Garfield, by the way, brokenhearted. Poor man. Yeah, really such a bummer. They quickly cast Tom Holland. It came down, I think, to him and Asa Butterfield and one other person. I can't remember. Hilarious. Yeah. They quickly cast Tom Holland, who also grew up with Spider-Man. You know, there's classic photos of him, like, as a two- or three-year-old in Spider-Man garb. And they put this new iteration of the beloved Spider-Man character into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and everyone loved it. Really well received. And then right after that, they made Spider-Man's first Marvel Cinematic Universe outing, Spider-Man Homecoming. We're like, why is it called Homecoming? And it's because he goes to a homecoming dance in it. And this had Michael Keaton as 
the Vulture, which was the villain that the original Spider-Man 4 was supposed to have. And uh, people loved him. This is like famously the character that Spider-Man should be, the personality that he should have. He's supposed to be like witty, kind of a loser, which he is. He's witty. He's supposed to like constantly talk, a lot like Deadpool. They're kind of very similar in that way. Constantly outsmarting and outthinking and outwitting his enemies. And he's also supposed to learn really hard lessons. And he does all those things in this movie in Homecoming. And that was in... 2017, which was a year later. So he essentially went from just being thrust into the MCU, into the Civil War, going into making his own first movie. And then that was really well received. It made, I think it made over a billion dollars. It was like a huge success. Sony was like stoked because... Money. Money, yeah. <laughs> um, and Marvel's stoked because they finally have a good handling of the Spider-Man character. It was his homecoming. It was. It was both a homecoming and a figurative and a literal sense. So... In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all the Infinity War and Endgame stuff happened. So, uh, Which was a big deal. Yeah, it was a huge deal. <laughs> <laughs> Endgame was... Both figuratively and literally. Endgame was one of the... Uh, I mean, it was the highest grossing movie of all time at a certain point. It's back to Avatar now because they re-released it in like China or something. And Tom Holland was in both of those movies, playing a major role. Yeah, he's playing a huge role in both those movies. So those are appearances three and four, Infinity War and Endgame. And then in 2019... In July, Far From Home came out. Which was the sequel to Homecoming, also the sequel to the other four appearances he's made in the MCU. And this fifth appearance of Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is said to be an epilogue to Endgame and the Infinity Saga of Marvel movies. Post-snap. Post-snap, yeah. These movies, I should say, are directed by John Watts, who was handpicked by Feige and the Marvel crew. The whole idea here, again, I should say with this partnership, is that Marvel controls creative and Sony lends them the character and they, they reap the benefits, essentially. Who controls marketing? Sony. But Marvel gets a say in what is marketed, which is why we've yeah. had really strange marketing for No Way Home. Mm. Anyway, John Watts. Johnny Watts. He's said to like be this director that can kind of capture the old 80s John Hughes kind of movies, like that feeling of like real kids having real having stuff. real feelings, yeah. So so that's kind of why they wanted to do a kid version of Spider-Man, an actual young kid. I think Tom was like 15 or something when he got hired, 16 maybe. And John Watts has been knocking it out of the park. And he did Far From Home in 2019. They had Mysterio as the villain, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. They had Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, and um, Kobe Smulders as Maria Hill. John Favreau's in there. John Favreau's he's always kind of acted as a mentor to uh, this version of Peter Parker, being like kind of like a father figure. And then his Aunt May is played by Marissa Tomei, which is another interesting take on Aunt May. I'm a fan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mysterio is my favorite character. I should say it was great to see my favorite villain. It was great to see Mysterio on screen. That, Done by Gyllenhaal, no less. Yeah. I'm really hoping they bring him back in the future. If I had my way, I would. Yeah. Yeah, and then we get to what happened after that. That was the fifth appearance of Spider-Man. The deal was up. The deal And was Sony up. said, well, we've had a lot of success with our Spider-Man character in these films. I think we know what we're doing now. We're, ta <laughs> we're taking him back. And we're not we're not doing any more Spider-Man films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. No. And the internet exploded. I exploded personally. I was freaking out. I think you remember this. Yeah, this is late 2019. Yeah, 
Right. The world was on fire. <laughs> and this was pre-COVID. Yeah, this was pre-COVID. And everyone was freaking out. And, um, you know, they wanted more of Tom Holland's character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They wanted to see more of that character and have Marvel. Really, it's they wanted Marvel to continue to be the creative because we've seen what Sony Spider-Man movies look like. Oh, we've seen it. <laughs> and they're not always amazing, so... No pun intended. Wow. Yeah, no pun intended. What happened then, Steven? Well, <laughs> I think about two months passed where Tom Holland's commenting a lot, <laughs> saying it's going to be okay, everyone. Like, Sony and I have a plan. It's going to be good. We're going to do this whole thing. Which we found out now was to put Craven the Hunter in that movie uh, and have it be like a Craven the Hunter movie as the third villain for that trilogy of movies. The idea that John Watts would return again was like up in the air. No one knew it was going to happen with that. So there's a lot of ambiguity in that time. Like, wow, what's this going to look like with Spider-Man out of the MCU? How are they? It's like his story was unfinished, especially because at the end of Far From Home, they end on a huge cliffhanger. Mm Mm-hmm. Huge cliffhanger, which was Mysterio outs Peter Parker as being Spider-Man. And so for the first time in a movie, they set up everyone in the world knowing who Peter Parker is, who Spider-Man is. And they also brought back J.K. Simmons to play J. Jonah Jameson. J. Jonah Jameson from the original Sam Raimi trilogy. Portent of what's to come. But what happened? What stopped the madness? Yeah. So this is the story that Tom tells. This is what happened. He was at a pub. He had put a bug in someone's ear that he wanted to talk to Bob Iger, who was the CEO of Disney at the time. It's now Bob JPEG, so there's been a shift. A Bob switch. Yeah, (laughs) I switched Bobs. (laughs) So he puts a bug in the ear that he wants to talk to Bob Iger. Bob Iger calls him on the phone. He's out at a pub. Like a good British pub. Tom Holland loves pubs. That's like a thing. Yeah. He's a little bit... He's had a couple drinks already at this point. Oh, I see. And so he starts crying to Bob Iger about, (laughs) about how much... About how much he loves the character, how personal it is for him, how it's important to see him specifically in the MCU. And Bob's like, okay, I'll see what I can do. I've heard this story, but I had no idea he was drinking. Yeah, yeah. Bob calls the CEO of Sony, forget his name, because it's Sony. And they work out a deal. They sign a new contract for Spider-Man to appear in two more MCU films. Huh. Yeah. And... Thus began the descent into the pre-production for No Way Home, which nobody knew the title of at the time. And then COVID hit, and it got delayed six months. Supposed to come out past July. And here we are in December, and it's coming out now, right before Christmas. Um, And it's been quite a journey, man, to get to this point. And I I didn't even talk about the End of the Spider-Verse animated film. Which was a huge deal. Huge deal, because people love that movie. And I love that movie, too. It's really good. I'm a big Miles Morales fan, I should say. I have read every single one of his comics. I own two copies of the original comic book that he appears in. One of them still is sealed. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, huge nerd over here, obviously. So they only signed a two-picture deal at the time. At the time and still to this day. Is it still only two? It's still only two. I thought you whispered to me lovingly that there there was a potential trilogy that's the rumor that's happening right now is is that it's a rumor amy pascal has said there is a whole new trilogy of tom holland films in the works and whether or not that's in the mcu is completely 
unknown. However, the other thing I do know is that the second film is potentially supposed to be an ensemble film, like an Avengers-style film or something. Something sinister? Maybe. (laughs) Who knows? And that takes us to now. That takes us to now. (laughs) On the day of Spider-Man No Way Home's release. Mm Mm-hmm. Long have we waited, particularly you. (laughs) Yes. Again, full spoilers at this point. This has been nostalgia fair for me because obviously all these past villains are coming back, these past iterations of Spider-Man. From movies of yore? Yeah, from movies that date back to me and hit have a personal tie to my life 20 years ago. And my friend that I was referring to, my friend John, he just died this year. He passed back in April. And uh, this is some, this movie is something him and I would have been freaking out over. I I can't believe I can't talk to him about it, but, um, and so it's this movie, No Way Home is extra personal for me because of the nostalgia ties, the classic villains coming back. And then also because my friend who like, I used to geek out about this stuff with, uh, is no longer with us. Uh, if dashboard confessional is in this movie, (laughs) I might, I might start crying. But I should also say, like, what a move. It's exactly what I would have done. Because if you ever think about, like, oh, let's do Green Goblin again or do Doc Ock, like, how can you recast those perfect castings of characters? Willem Dafoe was so good in that role. Uh, Alfred Molina, so amazing. Even Thomas Hayden Church as Sandman, I loved. Great casting choices. I, it's just, like, impossible to ca- recast those characters. I even liked Jamie Foxx as Electra. I thought it was great until he turned blue. Um, I, I didn't like how they wrote him so much in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but great casting choices. And so to, to bring them all back and do them well and do them the right way, I think to me shows the ingenious of Feige and the creatives at Marvel. Like, they are next level smart in a way that really resonates with me personally and a lot of other people personally probably as well. So I, I just wanted to say that at the outset. Do you think the Into the Spider-Verse film lent any creative direction to this? Yes, I do think that there was pressure from Sony to lean into the Spider-Verse because of the success of the Spider-Verse film. Yeah. And, there, you know, there's the reference of uh, Black Spider-Man in this movie. I, I mean, I guess also with the MCU, the multiverse doors were already blowing wide open because of things going on with Loki and Wanda yeah. and mm-hmm. the rest of the characters. Mm-hmm. So. Now and, and what if too? Because what if has a huge tie into this as well. Yeah, yeah. And with this and with Doctor Strange, you know, particularly as you mentioned, as a post-credit sequence, dude. That's that's something else I should say is after Spider-Man Three, Sam Raimi done making superhero movies. Yeah, Kevin Feige, who worked with him back then. Oh, he did. Yeah, not as the high-level producer that he is now, but a lower-level producer gets Sam Raimi to come back and direct the new Doctor Strange movie. So, which which is almost like a sequel to this movie. Mm-hmm. So crazy. It's like this huge full circle event for the people involved behind the scenes, for the fans like me, and even the actors. So it's it's this weird 20-year time loop that we're in. Yeah, it's... Everything comes back around. It's beautiful, man. And honestly, like, it means a lot to me personally. Like, I, I, I never thought I'd get to this day to see it all happen. And... Here I am. It was fated. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to be here to experience it with you because it's special for me to see how special it is for you. (laughs) I know. That's how I feel about things that mean 
Well, something even to the you. things that mean the most to me, honestly, probably can't measure up to what Spider-Man is for you. So it's always exciting to see people get passionate about whatever it is that they're passionate about. And now you know a lot of why. Yeah. You and our audience knows why a lot of why uh, this means so much to me personally. I have shared a lot of like what I would say like very meaningful, pretty intimate memories for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, don't make fun of me, <laughs> please. I'm very <laughs> sensitive. I will say that. I don't care. I'm sensitive about this. This is like, like you can make fun of my kids all you want, <laughs> but don't make fun of my feelings for Spider-Man. And this could be the biggest superhero movie of all time. Yep, yeah, that's what they're saying. Could be the best MCU movie. And jury's out on whether or not it beats Spider-Man 2 for me. Is Spider-Man 2 still your favorite superhero movie? Yeah. So right now, it is. Dang. Anyway, let's talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home was directed by John Watts, who directed the other two MCU Spider-Man films. And he did a great job balancing, I think, the tones, always going from happy, sad, sad, happy. A great example, I think, is uh, Toby's line of delivering the best friend line where he was like, this was really tragic and heartbreaking. But everyone's laughing during the sad scene because Ned is like, taking it to heart and thinking oh my gosh like i i can't believe this person's best friend did this to him you know yeah so it's that constant balancing of tone yeah is something john watts does really well as a director i feel like this movie had the the most of that yeah it for sure did i think so too he, he had hints of it in homecoming with at the end with the vulture it gets very you know quote-unquote adult and then again at the end of far from home it gets very adult again when peter can't trust happy and he's like tell me something only happy would know and then and then mysterio is essentially trying to kill him the whole time during the end so i feel like he's just really good at balancing those things and keeping the spirit up the whole time because spider-man's supposed to be you know representing youthfulness and semi-optimistic amidst the constant tragedy that surrounds his life but yeah props to john wants and this one i think was the best out of all for direction he stuck the landing yeah he totally did to finish his trilogy. Yeah, and it's produced by Kevin Feige, Amy Pascal. Avi Arad. Avi Arad is there. I think his name just gets thrown in, to be honest. Yeah, they had a special credit for him. Yeah, they did. They're like, thank you, Avi Arad. Yeah. Or else none of this is possible. The true believer is what they said, which is a throwback to Stan Lee as well. I want to I shout out the writers because they did a fantastic job here. Seems like a duo. They wrote the other Spider-Man home saga films chris mckenna and eric summers Summers, yeah they did a great job the thing they did so well here is i i feel like at any point with this many characters spanning the whole history of the spider-man franchise you could have written a line that wouldn't have worked with that character but all of the characters felt just as natural paying homage to their original films and writing style so i i thought just the writing was outstanding like i i was constantly just thinking about that the whole time while i was watching it michael giacchino returned it's interesting because he also did the doctor strange score and he pulled in 
aspects from past Spider-Man scores as well. But it's fun because Michael Giacchino has his hands in so many things. And so to see Doctor Strange in this movie, he could transition into that score because he wrote it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Which is fun. He's written more than just those two, I think, for Marvel. He's going to write Thor next. Okay. I think I think that's it. I might be wrong, but... Uh, let's talk about the... The cinematography. The cinematography is great. Mauro Fiore. Mauro Fiore. It was actually... It looks like this might be his first Marvel film um, for the MCU. Apparently, he shot Dark Phoenix. But it's the guy who did Avatar. That's his credit. Training Day, The Island, The Kingdom. But, yeah. So, they did some fun stuff with camera work in this movie. A lot of callbacks, visually. Yes. In fact, a little piece of information... John Watts took certain camera movements from the Sam Raimi films. Mm-hmm. Sam Raimi was sort of known for these quick zooms and the Hitchcock zoom, the vertigo zoom. Oh, yeah. And so that was in this movie as well, which was nice. So not only did they pay homage in a lot of other ways, which I will talk about soon, but they did so even all the way down to something as simple as camera movements. Mm-hmm. Not as simple, but something as minute as a camera movement. Let's talk about the cast because it's crazy. Yeah. Tom Holland, of course, reprising his role as our current MCU Spider-Man, Peter Parker. We have Zendaya back as MJ, Michelle Jones, Watson, Michelle Jones Watson. I guess. I think this was the first time that her last name was said to be potentially Watson, which made her more of an official MJ or Mary Jane in my mind, because I never had thought that before, which was interesting. We have Jacob Batalon as Ned, who's back. Fantastic guy. I I love him so much. Seems like a cool guy. Yeah. Benedict Cumberpatch was very important as Doctor Strange. You always say patch. Cumberbatch. It just sounds right. It's not. (laughs) Like Sour Patch. Benedict Cumberbatch. (laughs) John Favreau. Favreau. Favreau was back as happy. And then Benedict Wong popped in. Yep. Benedict Wong. This movie answered a question that I had been asking for years who is sorcerer supreme mm-hmm. and they finally answered it in this movie because sorcerer supreme should have gone to dr strange but it didn't it went to wong because he blipped yep <laughs> and but they never have addressed that in the films until now and i'm so happy they did it yeah i was hoping sam would in the multiverse movie the dr strange in the multiverse of madness but they did it here in a spider-man film which is so crazy to me so I don't really care who has it. I just wanted them to at least address that someone is a Sorcerer Supreme. And now we know that Wong is Sorcerer Supreme, which is rad. Wong's great. He deserves it. Yeah. Do you want me to mention, I guess at this point, all the special people that were in this film from previous films? Yeah. We're full spoilers. Our kooky cast of characters, villains from your From the classic rogue gallery of Spider-Man films. Yeah. We have Tobey Maguire's rogue gallery, Willem Dafoe. As Norman Osborn, Green Goblin. Killed it. Killed Alfred it. Molina, Doc Ock. Killed it again. And we got Thomas Hayden Church back as Sandman. Yes. Or at least his voice and then the digital representation of him. Yep. And then we've got a couple Andrew Garfield villains. Yes. We have uh, Jamie Foxx as Electro. Yep. From his second film. Non, as, non-blue. Yeah, as regular Jamie Foxx. And then uh, Connors from the first film played by... Reese Ephens. Ephens. Yeah, I'm glad you said it because I would have butchered it. And then we also had uh, 
Well, we had the Spider-Man. Yeah, the original Spider-Man. They, they tried to keep it under wraps as best they could, but we got Andrew it was Garfield. the worst kept secret in Hollywood. Yeah. Well, apparently half the theater was... Uh, it was a shock. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire were both back. From the respective movies that we just recapped. Yeah, so we got a now 40-something, 40-year-old maybe Tobey Maguire mm-hmm. as a senior, still wiser look, Spider-Man. Still looks great. And Andrew Garfield, who's just a few years out of his tenure. Six to seven years later. Really nice. He looks almost exactly the same. And they were great. It felt like they had just walked out of their stories yeah. into ours. Beautiful. And um, I'm sure you have a lot to say about that. But that's basically the gist of it. We also had J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. Yes, back from the original Sam Raimi trilogy again. I know you said this, but I cut it. So you should also mention... Um, and of course, Marissa Tomei. As Aunt yes, May. Yes. Great. And Wonderful. And then Dead. Uh, <laughs> she gave her life. Her sacrifice was more important. It was faded. Yeah. And then Tony Ravioli as Flash. Tony Revolori. Tony Tony Revol Revoli, Ravioli. Revolori. <laughs> Barbara Streisand. <laughs> Streisand. Yep, that's the cast. I'll tell you about the plot. The movie starts right as Far From Home ends where Mysterio reveals Peter Parker's identity as Spider-Man to the world. And his life just goes crazy. And because of the association of knowing Peter Parker and Spider-Man, his friends and his family get affected. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing he wants most is to just go to college with his two best friends, one of them being his girlfriend. And so they all get denied after applying to multiple colleges. <laughs> it's funny that this is the story, but then he uh, realizes that I'm affecting my friend's lives. So he goes to Dr. Strange to ask him to turn back time and make it so that nobody knows that he's Spider-Man. And instead, they decide to cast a forgetting spell to make the world forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Because the stones are just gone now, right? The stones are, they were destroyed in this universe because Thanos destroyed them. Well, they cast a forgetting spell instead. They cast a forgetting spell. But due to excessive tampering. Yeah, because, (laughs) because Peter Parker is a mouthy son of a gun which I really appreciate that they wrote him to be this way because it really felt like that was lacking in the Far From Home movie. He tampers with the spell and it goes awry and the multiverse breaks open. And then villains from past Spider-Man films, one from each film, the best ones, because some of them had multiple villains, start attacking (laughs) Tom Holland, (laughs) Spider-Man. And he has to capture them and put them, lock them up to send them back to their respective universes. In so doing, he starts to talk to the villains and the villains don't seem all so villainous. They all have empathetic hearts. And then Tom Holland soon understands that they all died in their respective universes and he doesn't want to send them back to their death. So he decides he wants to save them, which Doctor Strange is against, but he tries to do so. It fails because the Green Goblin goes crazy and kills... Uh, Marissa Tomei's Aunt May. But he succeeds uh, in curing Doc, at, at least. Yes, he cures Doc. Yeah. Doc Ock. I don't know if you said that. I didn't. Okay. Anyway, so Aunt May dies, and she is the catalyst for this Peter Parker Spider-Man. She's mm-hmm. essentially the the Uncle Ben in the other universes. She delivers the with great power comes great responsibility line, and she dies in his arms just like the Uncle Ben's did in the other universes, timelines, whatever. And he is really wrestling with morality and questioning whether or not it would be okay to take revenge and kill the person that killed his beloved Aunt May. And then enters the past Spider-Mans, Spider-Men, 
Spider-Man. Spider-Mania. Spider-Man. Spider-Mania. To kind of be there both to aid him in the final battle and also give him direction, moral direction, to make the right decision, which is exactly like from the comics. I'm really glad that they kept the, the focus on Tom for this. Like, really, really glad, because that was something I thought was impossible. I thought that it would just become too convoluted and that Tom's story would get lost, but they really kept the focus on him. Anyway, what happens is they cure all the villains. They cure some ass. (laughs) And Tom Holland's confronted with the choice to kill Green Goblin. He doesn't. He cures him. But the multiverse is breaking open again because the spell gets blown up in the process and and dr strange casts the spell because of peter's decision peter makes the decision to kind of erase the old spell and cast a new spell that just makes it so that everyone doesn't remember that peter parker ever existed at all not even that peter parker is spider-man so dr strange is like yeah that would work but no one will know that you exist and he's like you got to do it so they do it the multiverse cracks close and peter parker at the end is truly left alone he goes to try to tell his friends including his girlfriend who he is but decides not to because he remembers sort of the danger that he put them in and decides it'd be better if he weren't in their lives and happy doesn't remember him john favreau's character and he's left alone in an apartment sewing his own costume no stark tech and you know makes the decision to deny you know, the thing that Spider-Man 2 taught us that to do what's right, sometimes you have to give up the thing you want the most. Mm-hmm. And Spider-Man makes that decision finally because Tom Holland's Spider-Man really never did that in the past films. And he makes that decision and the movie ends. And it's super poetic, in my opinion, for that reason. Because he finally did the thing that, like, the Spider-Man movies do the best, which is takes you on a journey where the character of Peter Parker and Sp- or Spider-Man makes that difficult decision to give up the thing that they want for the sake of others. Mm -hmm. And we have that here as like the completion of this trilogy. And so that's the plot of No Way Home. Beautiful. Yeah. Really poetic, I think. And like uh, it completes a trilogy that just feels like the beginning of Tom's story as Spider-Man. Yeah. Yep. 100%. Which is crazy because, you know, Marvel has always said that they play the long game when it comes to like making movies and and having character development and story arcs and there's no way they could have planned this out here but but it seems like they really finally like got there with this tom holland's version of spider-man which is really nice to see like they really finally went there to that place that we saw toby's spider-man do like in the first movie and it seemed like all the other spider-man stuff that we've seen in the mcu so far up to this point is like child's play compared to this movie so this movie like in my opinion far exceeded the previous Tom Holland iterations. Yeah, even when Stark died, and that meant so much for Tom, it still wasn't the trigger, you yeah. know, that was going to turn him into what Spider-Man is. And nor, nor was it his Uncle Ben, because we never really even yeah, we, heard mention of that. But supposedly he died as well. Yeah, and it was really cool, like you said, f- to see them turn the script. Yeah. And... Make it Marissa Tomei. Yeah, because that's what people were so refreshed with in Homecoming was that they didn't do the Uncle Ben thing again. Right. But we eventually got to the same place. Well, I we also heard from a lot of fan feedback and response that, like, they just need to do it. Like, they just need to do the Uncle Ben thing and, and have the with great power comes great responsibility because it almost got to a point where it was hurting mm-hmm. the movies when it almost seemed like he had 
no clear drive or motivation. So to do that with this character with Aunt May, I thought was like a really, really awesome way to incorporate that and to have have the plot sort of center around Goblin toying with his mind about who Aunt May was and like what kind of person she was in Peter's life was super awesome. And dark and evil. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a more threatening, I feel like, Goblin than we even got in, you know, Toby's first film. Yeah, yeah, totally. He actually killed Aunt May. <laughs> yep. Because Norman was on sabbatical. Yeah. He's like, Norman was on sabbatical, honey. <laughs> Norman's on sabbatical, honey. <laughs> yeah, he's so good. Yeah. He actually seemed like he had a split personality. You could tell when he turned it on. Yeah. He was all of a sudden a different, a, a crazy person. It legitimately felt like it was an Alzheimer's patient. Yeah. yeah. Um, Flying green elf. Yeah. It was a depth that we didn't even get to see again in, in his other film. Yeah. And... In that way, it's fun to talk about how this movie completed story arcs for every character that we had seen before, both the Spider-Man and for... Dating back 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. It's a remarkable and unique film experience that I don't think we've ever had before. Yeah. Because even in Infinity War and Endgame, which were landmark movies for their time and what they had accomplished, completing the 10-year... Build-up what we now call a cinematic universe of over a dozen films. This feels like its own unique achievement because it's more than that. It's 20 years across multiple previously unconnected franchises. And we've never seen anything like that before. And to do it in such a a good good way, like it was done well. (laughs) It was very well done. Yeah, it was very special for that reason. And we, like I said, we got to see resolution for these characters because... Toby's story, as you mentioned, you reminded me at the end of three, it's ambiguous to what his future looks like with Mary Jane. Yeah. We get to hear about how he's still with her and they're making things work. Yep. Andrew Garfield never got his third film. No. And the last we see of him, he just lost Gwen. Yeah. And we get to see him basically make up for that by saving uh, MJ for Tom Holland. And then all the villains, we finally bring Octavius back to his good-natured self, which was amazing to see. And we we basically cured, like you said, every villain. Mm-hmm. Whatever that might look like in the future from now with whatever they do with Tom Holland's Spider-Man or potentially even bringing back another Spider-Man with these villains, these characters. We've, we've resolved those conflicts up to this point. And yeah. It feels good. Yeah. It feels satisfying and cathartic. And yeah, it feels like we got closure on things that we were wondering. Like we were left wondering, how is Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man doing after that? second movie and we got that those answers in in this movie and we got the answers of how is tom holland's spider-man doing when i first heard the rumors of a multiverse appearing in this movie which was over a year ago now i was really worried i was like there's no way that that's going to be good and it's too soon for the live action version of spider-man's and i i really just wanted to see tom holland's story end and i didn't want to it to be convoluted with, you know, surprise cameos from past Spider-Man. And yeah. so it could have easily have been a mess. <laughs> it yeah. And and I I just really appreciated how they did it and what they did with it. One of my favorite things about it was just the fan service stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they brought in the past Spider-Man and with them came their personalities, like you said, like they never left. And all their jokes that they made from those movies, all of the the things that have become memes 
in our <laughs> current day and age. My back. <laughs> yeah, like the my back joke or even the fact that like... And quotes um, from their films too. Quotes from their films. I have so much to say about that, but but even the fact that people always say that Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man was the worst and then you have Toby's Spider-Man basically saying you're amazing, don't don't self-deprecate was like almost like a nod to the audience like you guys need to shut up cuz Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man was actually really good and he's really good in this role and I think it was very apparent. Oh yeah. That like his charisma and his deep love and knowledge for the character of Peter Parker came through so much that it, you know he embodied it in a way that neither Tom Holland nor Toby Maguire did and he I can't say he acted circles around them. They all acted and they had their moments to shine, but Andrews stole the scene. Andrews was in like, yeah, maybe the most engaging to watch and the most, like I said, charismatic and, and joyful. Like he, you could tell that he was so happy to be there. And what's crazy is like all the little Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man always had these little quirks like him, you know, walking in one direction and then turning around really quick because he realized he was walking in the wrong direction <laughs> Like he, he almost seemed like kind of like ADHD, like ADHD. Yeah. A lot. And like his fingers are always twitching or something. Yes. And he brought that into this movie and the writers wrote that wrote him in a way that it really worked in relationship to the other Peter Parkers. My mind was just watching it going, wow, they really, really did their research. Like these writers did such a good job and Andrew Garfield it's like he it's like he's riding a bike he just put on the old suit and he's he's there again all of a sudden Mm -hmm. toby mcguire was also really fun to watch i can't say the same for his performance but it was so cool that just to see him there again and hear his voice and And his perspective too and his perspective yeah um i'm really glad honestly toby mcguire said yes to this because i i know that he was really burnt out after the third movie even though they were planning to do a fourth I think he went on record by saying he was relieved when that got canceled. But um, Andrew Garfield, man. I mean, I, I've always said he's my favorite performance of Spider-Man. And I think that really remains true. And he shines brightly in this film. Yeah. I think I think now that we've I've had time to think about it, I think my favorite part, the, the part that hits me most emotionally is when he catches MJ Zendaya and he... Like you said, he doesn't say anything at all. He just starts crying, overwhelmed with the emotion of uh, remembering how traumatic that must have been for him to lose the person that he loved uh, in the same way. So it, I, I just like, I can't get enough of that guy. <laughs> Bring him back. <laughs> well, Tom, I should say too that Tom Holland's acting performance in this, they really took his Peter Parker to very dark places, places I did not expect them to take not Peter Parker this soon, but very dark places. Like I said, he was questioning his morality and the scene where MJ and Ned run up and hug him when he's crying on top of the rooftop was so powerful. You could tell, you know, the emotion on his face. He he's that, that kid's an amazing actor. Yeah. The shot of him in the rain watching J Jonah Jameson was, was great. Yeah. I saw, I saw things in his performance in this movie that I've never seen in him before as an actor we really love devil all the time, the Netflix film. And he, he learned, I feel like he learned a lot from the time that he shot far from home to when he shot no way home. So he's grown up. Yeah. Growing up. He's been on record recently as saying he wants to start a family and he's already thinking about his life like post acting post acting. Huh? Yeah. There's a lot of questions up in the air as far as what's going to happen next. There are a lot of young women who would love to help him with that. (laughs) Right now it's Zendaya, but 
They're not actually dating, are they? They are. They are? Well, I mean, not like officially, but they're definitely really making out and flirtatious in, and stuff. In public? There's pictures you'd find. Wow. Yeah. This is news to me. Well. Cool. Google it. It's always funny to watch your movie romance bleed into real life. <laughs> But that's another thing I want to say really quick about the villains and the sound and the score. There were so many moments and points of throwback to the past films that it was almost overwhelming for me because I've I've studied these films maybe and I've seen these movies maybe more than any other movies. And I know them so intimately. I'll give you guys some examples. The score for Doc Ock's theme appears on the bridge when he appears for the first time. The sound of the, the movement of his arms, the clicking. The car that he throws directly at the camera in slow motion is an homage that is directly back to Spider-Man 2 when he throws the car into the coffee shop when Peter and MJ are meeting. His lines about the power of the sun in the palm of my hand and many other lines as well are all direct lines like taken from the original performance. Um, I should say that the de-aging software, the CG that they used to de-age his face amongst probably Willem Dafoe's as well was really well. It's like you, you couldn't tell that they were older. It was very gentle. And if you watched them in recent interviews about No Way Home, they look a lot older than they do in this movie. Green Goblin was like perfect. That was another thing too, is they, they somehow took these villains and then remade them in, in slight ways that paid homage to what they had done while also making them new. So they added the color purple to the Green Goblin costume with like a purple like sweatshirt cloth that he's wearing in the hood and he has a, a sash, which that is the exact Green Goblin from the comics and they did that here. They mm-hmm. just they tore apart his suit, added the purple and like made him more of the traditional Green Goblin from the comic books. But all the way down to the pumpkin bombs, the look of the pumpkin bombs, the fire that happens from the pumpkin bombs is a green fire that they had in the original movie. Uh, the sound effect there, the Green Goblin score theme was present um, when Electro first shows up. He's blue and then he turns unblue when he becomes like self-aware. And they have the cue, the score from the Electro score f- that Hans Zimmer wrote uh, with uh, Junkie XL or whoever it was in, in Amazing Spider-Man 2. And that hits really quick before he kicks into gear. Reese Iphens sounded exactly the same, and they captured the sound quality of his voice by making him sound like this monster lizard. And that was super cool to hear when he talked. And then even Sandman looked and sounded almost exactly the same as the Spider-Man 3 Thomas Hayden Church of Sandman. So then you had the camera movements, the ca- the, the actual like almost like shot-for-shot shot remake. Like, for example, the shot of Tobey Maguire stepping in and catching the glider at the end when Tom Holland's about to take the glider and impale Green Goblin mirrors almost like perfectly the shot at the end of Spider-Man 2 when the Doc Ock machine is about to fall on MJ and he catches it and there's that close-up of Toby shaking holding the machine as it's falling and he's preventing it from falling down on top of her and it's the exact same shot and that happened over and over and over and over again in this movie it was like literally like almost like a shot for shot remake sometimes of the older movies I, I my mind was just constantly being blown it was incredible to see all the way down to like a, like i said a lot of the lines that the goblin said like i'm something of a scientist myself <laughs> or he said can spider-man come out to play that line it's the first thing he says when he arrives to the statue of liberty at the end but he screams it instead of like whispers it into the phone in spider-man one 
even down to the point of how Tobey Maguire's when he shoots a web, it's a different sound than the when the other Spider-Mans shoot a web. It's a completely different sound because it, it has like a, a more of like a cartoony sound to it than when Tom Holland shoots his web or when Andrew Garfield shoots his web. They're all different sound effects. <laughs> And I'm, I, was, I was just listening to it going like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe they like went that far. Like any sound designer could have just picked, oh, he's just shooting his web. We have like a hundred versions of that. And just, you know, you can queue up like three different ones. No, they used the sound effects from Spider-Man 1, like that web shooter sound effect. That blew my mind. Anyway, all of the paying homage, like the writers and the filmmakers, the producers and and John Watts, they all did their homework extensively to recreate these characters, bring them back, and even update them in a way that made sense and made it more comic book accurate. And all those things combined are just like, in my opinion, really humbling to watch as a massive Spider-Man fan. There are so many more subtle nods that I, I mean, I, it's just like, I'm like a kid in a candy shop watching this movie going, wow, I like, I don't know what is the best part because they're all so good. Amazing attention to detail. Yes. Amazing attention to detail. Amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> no, really. You're amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Overall, I, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. I mean, not to sound like a broken record, but probably, like we said, for what it accomplished, it's the most remarkable MCU film. I think it's currently the highest, got the highest score for for whatever that you know counts for. I think people unanimously love it. Yeah. Yep. And it was a a large task to nail to get down right, and they. They did it. Yeah. I mean, also the reason I said all that stuff about telling you guys why it's so personal to me and taking you through a little bit of my knowledge of the history of the films is because this movie put a cap, like a, like an end cap, and wrapped it up in a little pretty bow to all the characters of all these movies, all the filmmakers of, of all of these movies. And it was beautiful to see for me as a fan. Someone needs to check on Kathleen Kennedy, make sure she's okay. <laughs> i'm crying on the inside (laughs) pain it just it goes (laughs) i mean and to throw a tiny bit more praise onto someone like kevin feige to a creative vision that he has like you said they probably didn't start the story with this end goal i mean we have a lot of different people to thank even like sony kind of bungling it as their own property to hand it over to marvel but yeah marvel's just killing it like it's undeniable and for someone like me who even has marvel fatigue admittedly like i i can't remember so much of what's happened in the last 10 years <laughs> but this was exceptional and even bryce gave it the stamp of approval <laughs> who's not a huge marvel guy yeah but it was just so beautiful Allie also gave it the stamp of approval she loves the first toby spider-man films and she has not really liked the tom holland ones as much and she was like that was really cool that was really well done she's like it was just quality through and through and it was unlike not that the previous homecoming films weren't quality it's just that like they really got there yeah in this story and it took them a while but they did get there they got there yeah I'm usually pretty critical of the quippy nature of Marvel films too, but in this film, maybe it's just because the ensemble was just so damn charismatic, but it worked really well. And the balance, the that kind of ricochet of happy, sad moment, yeah. it felt balanced and it felt it felt natural. And like the whole second half of the film is just, is emotional mm-hmm. for different reasons, Yeah, different characters. 
And then, like you said, how incredibly powerful it was for Spider-Man to finally be alone. <laughs> to, like, where they could go anywhere now. Yeah. With future storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about that really quick as well as we come to a close here. Thanks for listening, by the way, everyone. Sorry if you're <laughs> bored to tears. Just um, keep playing Spider-Man music in the back <laughs> and they'll be fine. Yeah. This film also did a, a lot of other things. Like, uh, we got Charlie Cox. Oh, my God. He's as, a great lawyer. As yeah, Reprising his role of Matt Murdock, Daredevil. He's back. From the Netflix show mm-hmm. that Marvel ultimately abandoned and said is not really part of the MCU. They now are bringing that character in here and making him part of the MCU. As well as Vincent D'Onofrio, the villain from the Daredevil series, Wilson Fisk being in the Hawkeye series. It's a huge deal. That's why when you saw that character pop up for that one blue balls daredevil scene and people clapped for that person with the red glasses because that's a hugely popular marvel character Um, we've seen him portrayed by ben affleck and then charlie cox in the series and then this also paid homage to what if the animated mcu show that just finished a couple months ago when we saw the cloak dr strange's cloak go on to spider-man for a second while they were fighting that mirrorverse sequence was amazing the mirrorverse sequence was dope and then at the end if you watched all the way through to the end credits well, we should mention Tom Hardy's Venom, <laughs> Eddie Brock Venom showed up in this movie in the first end credit sequence, and he gets also transported back to his respective universe like the other villains do in this movie, but he leaves behind a bit of the symbiote, symbiote goo. black goo, <laughs> and that is a huge deal, huge deal, because like I was saying over and over, Venom is a very important character to a lot of people, mainly due to the story that we first saw a lot of people my age that are now adult grown-ups with children saw in the original 90s cartoon. And so if they do that right, if they do that storyline well and put that black tar, that black symbiote goo on this version of Spider-Man and put him in the black suit and, and put him up against a good villain, I think we're in store for a treat. Ultimately culminating in that same black goo ending up on that version of Eddie Brock or Venom and that character becoming Venom and Spider-Man fighting Venom. I mean, that's what everyone is kind of cheering for at this point. So I would love to not have it be the next movie, personally. I think it would be smart for them to have you know, much like this homecoming trilogy for them to take their time with it, you know, have him get all dark, even darker than he was in this movie with the black suit in the next one, maybe as, as like a fallout to this movie. And then maybe in the, in the middle movie of the next trilogy, if they did do another trilogy of Tom Holland films that he would fight venom in that one. Six seasons in a movie for Tom Holland. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's, that's what I want to talk about. So Tom Holland has been on record saying he he feels like he's being close to done being Spider-Man. He wants to to let another young person be Spider-Man and and hopes for diversity. Miles. Whether it's yeah, a uh, young black actor uh playing Miles or a young woman playing Gwen or you know, he also had this famous quote saying if he's playing Spider-Man when he's 30, he's doing something wrong, but could he even do a Spider-Pig movie. Uh sure. <laughs> But there's a lot to talk about with Spider with Tom Holland going forward as a Spider-Man in a live action setting. It seemed like, you know, how they left him in this movie, no one remembers who he is. Sony could easily take his character back and just start making movies on their own terms without Marvel at this point. And it wouldn't really matter in the larger scope of the MCU. So it seems like they set it up for that if they wanted to go that direction. But yeah. I would like to see him in three more movies. I have ideas for 
introducing Miles, you know, even in like the middle movie of another trilogy and then killing Tom Holland's Spider-Man off, which in the comics is the catalyst for Miles then becoming Spider-Man and owning his responsibility. So I think that would be a really cool trilogy and to really build the core of people that love this version of Peter Parker and then have them all be impacted by him and then end up dying. Anyway, that's, that's me just wishing, but be a lot of we don't tears if that happens. Yeah. And then Amy Pascal, the, the producer for Sony also said, no, Tom's going to do three more films. And then at some point she like backtracked a couple of days later and was like, well, we'll see, you know, like, <laughs> so I, I don't know if Kevin and Amy have been talking. There's also been a rumor that Marvel and Sony are going to do like five more. So at this point, honestly, it's up in the air. We have no idea what's going to happen with Spider-Man in the MCU. We do know one thing's for sure, that Spider-Man movies will continue. And we also know that there's a Disney Plus animated Spider-Man show coming called Freshman Year that may tie in this version of Peter Parker as he begins his freshman year in college. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. It was announced on Disney Plus Day. I'm speculating as far as the plot of that, but... People are assuming that's what it's going to be. It's animated, huh? Yeah. Cool. We get the Spider-Verse sequel. Spider-Verse sequel's coming. Well, how do you feel, Steven? You've been waiting for this movie desperately for years. Two and a half years because it was delayed. Now we're on the other side. I can recall when Sony said that they were going to take this character back. I was brokenhearted because I really wanted to see Tom Holland's Spider-Man's story end in the way that it started in the MCU. So... Honestly, if his story ended here, I'd be really happy because we we got this. Like, we got that story. We got him to the place that, like I said, like a Spider-Man character needs to be. Alone. Broke. Broke. <laughs> Broken. <laughs> <laughs> Downtrodden. And I'm, I have been thinking, is this the best Spider-Man movie of all time? I, it's too early to tell for me, I think. For me to say yes to that question would be to erase... 20 years. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say the last 17 years of history that I have with Spider-Man 2 being my favorite comic book movie of all time. Me claiming that it's the best comic book movie I've ever made. So I can't say that after, you know, I just saw it. So I do think it's the best Tom Holland Spider-Man movie made. This is the best version of Spider-Man we've seen in the MCU, including the Avengers and the Civil War film. And like I said, it was beautiful, poetic to see the reprisals of the previous characters in this movie in a modern day and age. And I never thought I would get here. I never thought I would ever see that again. And so I, I am left feeling very satisfied, not even bittersweet, just, just sweet. And I, I feel very full, like I just ate a very good meal. <laughs> and you'll sleep well tonight, hopefully. <laughs> as long as I don't have COVID. <laughs> wow people are calling it also the best marvel movie ever made and i i may agree with that but i'm i'm like tossing for the mcu for the mcu yeah is it better than infinity war or endgame because th those are the two that you could really compare it to and it might be I, I i genuinely don't know i have to sit with it but yeah it could be the best mcu movie i am unsure if it will take the spot or the space of the best comic book movie or spider-man movie of all time time will tell yeah i don't know if it will for me personally but it's very close and that ends probably the most talking i will ever do on one of our podcasts <laughs> go see it <laughs> <laughs>
See it in theaters. As long as you're being safe and responsible. Watch responsibly. Don't cough on the person next to you. Or in their mouth. <laughs> <laughs>